once you get outside of the body and you're in whatever it is, the field of consciousness, we'll just call it, that literally anything is possible. Whatever you can imagine, whatever you can dream up is an option. There's a way we can analyze brainwave data to determine or at least give us an idea if the person had a traumatic brain injury. A much higher percentage than you would expect come up positive on that metric. You have to do something with it. Just because the door is cracked open, if you just kind of ignore it or you have one experience and then don't do anything further, it's going to close back down. Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between. I am returning to my roots right now to the reason why I started this podcast, was, which was to really look at mediumship and how these, these states of non-ordinary consciousness impact our ability to access different parts of ourselves, perhaps to grieve, perhaps to get in touch with non-embodied, disembodied entities. And today I have Jeff Tarrant on the show. Jeff is a PhD, BCN, and the founder and director of Psychic Mind Science and the Neuromeditation Institute in Eugene, Oregon. So he's a licensed psychologist and he's board certified in neuro neurofeedback, but his research, and this is where I'm most excited to talk to him, really focuses on exploring brainwave changes that occur as a result of contemplative practices, so meditation practices, technological interventions, non-ordinary states of consciousness, perhaps psychedelics, but also perhaps these experiences in medium or psychic states, and also psi abilities. He's the author of this new book, Becoming Psychic, Lessons from the Minds of Mediums, Healers, and Psychics, and Meditation Interventions to Rewire the Brain. And what I'm so excited to be able to dig into today and what I think is so, so important when we're talking about uh, validating these experiences is the research behind it. So welcome, Jeff. Thank you. It's great to be here. If you love the show, then show the love. There's so many ways you can support the podcast. You can rate and review the podcast anywhere you get your podcast. So go ahead and do that. You can subscribe to the podcast. So make sure you're subscribed. So every time a new podcast drops, you get that podcast the minute it drops. You can also follow me on social media at Dr. Amy Robbins. You can share the podcast or share any clips that you see that I share on my social media to others. That helps me gain traction. It helps other people hear and know about the messages that I am spreading here on this podcast. And you can also become a Patreon subscriber. If you go to Patreon and put in Dr. Amy Robbins, there are three tiers to subscribe, five, 10, and $20 a month. That is less, $5 is less than a cup of coffee. And it allows me to continue to bring you great content. It allows me to continue to get the support that I need to produce the show, to reach out to great guests, and to just stay sane, frankly. I am so grateful for those of you who have already supported the podcast. It is what has kept me going over all this time. So if you could give anything to the podcast, I would be so grateful. You have no idea what it means to me to get that support. It is completely self-funded at this point. 
It has been for six years, but for the support that you all have given me and I would love more of it. So thank you all so much for what you've already done, for sharing the love, for spreading the word. And now back to this week's episode of Life, Death and the Space Between. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So let's dig in. So yeah, let's do how, it. Yeah, let's do it. Because there's a there's so much in here that was so meaty that I actually need a little bit of translation on because sometimes I get caught up in the science of it all. How did you start researching the brains of mediums? Like what brought you to that that work? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's sort of the short, medium and long versions of that story, right? Um, the short story is that, you know, 10 or 11 years ago, I was introduced to a woman, her name's Janet Mayer, and she's in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, at the time I lived in Missouri. And, and so she was, you know, just a couple of hours away from me. And she had a very interesting story. And we, I, I talk about that in the book a little bit. But her story is basically that after a holotropic breathwork experience, she started speaking these languages that she didn't, she didn't know what she was saying. She didn't even know if she was speaking a language. It felt like a language. It looked like a language, but she had no idea what was going on. And this just started kind of moving through her. And her story is very interesting. And, and turns out after years and years of searching, she was able to validate, find an anthropologist who was able to translate these languages. And so, in fact, she was, I mean, essentially channeling these South American tribal languages and four different ones. And, um, wow. And so, so four separate languages or she was intertwining them. Um, she, when you listen to her talk, it's interesting because even though I don't know what she's saying, you can tell listening to her, she'll switch. And so sometimes it's like the voice that's coming through, you can kind of tell it's like, oh, that's more masculine. Oh, that's more feminine. Oh, she's teaching right now. Oh, she's praying right now. You can kind of tell and then she can kind of switch and then there'll be a different sort of tone or voice that comes through. 
And, the, you know, the, the languages are similar. They sound similar, but there are differences. So let me ask one question before we move forward. For my listeners who don't know, uh, holotropic breathwork comes out of the work of Stan Lefgraf, who was one of the early psychedelic researchers. And when they kind of shut down the whole psychedelic community, he started, he kind of discovered this holotropic breathwork, which shifts you into an altered state of consciousness solely through your breath. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever done that before, but it can be very psychedelic. It can be just as psychedelic as taking a substance. Uh, yeah, so. I've done breath work. I've never done holotropic breath work, but I've done breath work where I've been able to access that state. So it's pretty, it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so anyway, I was introduced to Janet and, you know, she was curious to understand what the heck was going on for herself. She didn't understand this. Like, why was this happening? And so when she found out that I measured people's brains and I was interested in things like meditation and altered states, you know, she was open to letting me map her brain. And so we became friends and um, I'm not even sure how many sessions we we had together of mapping her brain because it turns out she's also a medium. She's also a psychic. And so we had so many things that just branched off, right? Like, oh, let's see what happens when you're channeling these languages. Oh, what's happening when you're doing a mediumship reading? Oh. And so it just kind of snowballed from there. And was that accessible to her before the breath work or did the breath work open something up for her in all of these different areas? I don't want to speak for her, but I know for a fact that she had some, you know, premonitions and uh, spirit communication kind of thing starting at a fairly young age. So, and you, you hear that from a lot of mediums that, you know, when they were younger, they would see ghosts or talk to relatives who had passed or whatever, mm -hmm. and that that was a pretty normal thing. And, and she had a lot of those experiences. She had a lot of premonition type things. I don't know if she was professionally doing this work. I think she was before the holotropic breath work. Um, so, which, which leads to an interesting, I don't know, conjecture which is that maybe her brain was already oriented in a certain direction. And then the holotropic breath work just kind of blew it open, you know, blew it open even further, right? Like it was already open. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, this kind of, you know, gave it an extra kick that, you know, made it more possible. Um, and, and it make you know, I, I like that interpretation. I don't, you know, I don't know if it's true, but because, you know, you think about, well, you and I have both done holotropic breath work and did all of a sudden we start channeling shamans? No. And so I was like, well, why? Why Janet? Why Janet? And why not us? Why not everybody else that does holotropic breath work? Um, and maybe that was it. Maybe her brain was already sort of oriented in that direction. And so this mm -hmm. just provided just the exact kick, right place, right time, right set of circumstances, uh, that it all just kind of clicked into place. So what is your research, what did your research with her look like? Um, what does it look like now? And what exactly are you looking at in the brain? Yeah, so the the type of, and let me just say that, that so Janet, working with Janet then introduced me to a whole world of mediums and psychics. And so so really it was, it, I, I jokingly blame Janet. It's like, it's Janet's fault that I'm doing all of this uh, because she started introducing me to people and one thing leads to another, right? 
Um, but so the type of brain imaging that we're doing is an EEG. Uh, so we're measuring brainwave activity, the electrical activity that the brain produces. And we're doing a, a, a specific way of analyzing the data. It's called a quantitative EEG. So rather than just looking at the squiggly lines that the brain produces in electricity, you can put numbers to all of that. So you can quantify it. And of course, that makes it much easier to, to look at subtle states of consciousness because you can measure people's brainwave activity at a baseline state, and then you can measure it when they're doing something different and say, well, what changed? You know, what brainwaves changed and where did they change? So with a quantitative EEG, we can actually look at pretty much the whole brain. So it's not just a specific region that we're looking at. We're kind of looking at everything. Um, of course, after I've done enough of this work, turns out there are specific regions that seem to be more important than others uh, for this work. And maybe that's where the question was going. I, I just wanted to provide some context. Yeah, 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 it is. But let me stop and ask you, when it rests, does a non-psychic or non-medium, and we'll differentiate because you, you differentiate that their brains look different as well, a psychic versus a medium. When a non-psychic person's brain, a non-identified psychic person's or medium's brain is at rest, does it, and they are not tapping into those um, energies, does their, do, do all, do the brains look relatively the same or at the starting point, there's already a difference? Let, let me just clarify the, what what we're saying here. So, are we are we asking if if at rest mediums' brains look different than non mediums' brains? Is yes, that kind of correct? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, it depends, and uh, this is actually a question. Weirdly enough, I, I haven't really examined that question fully. I've been much more focused on what happens when they're doing a reading compared mm -hmm. to when they're not doing a reading, and. And so one of the projects that's on my uh, project board right now is to go back over all the data of all the mediums and psychics that I have and answer that exact question that you're asking. Now, what I've seen subjectively, just kind of like looking at a few of them and kind of noticing things, a couple of things do stand out. One is that there's a certain percentage of medium psychics that their brains look sort of ADHD-ish. Uh, you know, if they were coming in clinically and said, hey, do a brain map. I want to see what was going on. And I looked at their brain. The first thing I would ask about is <laughs> ADHD. And so it's possible that they might have, they might have ADHD. They, they, they may or may not. Do and, they report that? Like, oh yeah, I, I experienced that as a child or uh, many of the, them do. they do. endorse the symptoms of it? Yeah, many of them do, but but it's not it's not a hundred percent by any stretch. But mm -hmm. but there there does seem to be a higher than average percentage, and my current thinking about that is, you know, part of what's going on with ADHD in its in its sort of pure form is a difficulty for the brain to inhibit things. Right. So it makes it hard to not talk when you're not supposed to talk or not mm -hmm. move when you're not supposed to move. It's sort of disinhibited. And I think that actually works to their advantage in terms of mediumship and psychic abilities. The brain is disinhibited. It's not limiting 
what is possible, what can be perceived, what's true, what's not true. It's a little more open to possibilities. So I think it actually works to their advantage. The other pattern that I see semi-regularly is a, um, there's a, there's a way we can analyze brainwave data to determine, or at least give us an idea if the person had a traumatic brain injury. And again, a much more, a much higher percentage than you would expect come up positive on that metric. So it looks as though they have or have had a mild traumatic brain injury. And again, some of them report that, uh, but, but not all of them. And again, my theory is that whether it was from a traumatic brain injury or not, their brain is functioning differently than, than average, which was kind of your question. Like, is there something different than average? And it's like, mm-hmm. there does seem to be some evidence that that's true. Um, so, but that's my next project. Uh, you'll have to have me back on in another six months. And I, can... I will. I will. I have another project for you. Do okay. people who have had a grief experience where they've lost a loved one and then start to have connections with that loved one open up more? Is there a change in their brains? Like, does grief potentially open up these channels? That's a great, that's a great question. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, and yeah, I think I'm going to have to add that to my research board. Add it to your list. Um, Maybe I'll come join uh, you in Oregon. Okay. Because yeah, you've, got my- psych- you've got legalized psilocybin or decriminal <laughs> legalized, right? We're legal there now, not decriminalized. It's, it's- uh, it depends on the specifics, uh, but yes. Uh, okay. Uh, and you're researching psychics and mediums. It sounds like it's yeah. like right up my alley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on out. Uh, there's plenty of room for you. Um, but so your question, you know, it's interesting. And, and I don't know exactly how to answer the question, partly because we don't know, but also because actually it's it's more common than we might expect for people having lost somebody to have some sort of after-death communication. Um, and particularly in, you know, in, in the United States, we tend as a culture to not, that's not a normal part of our bereavement grieving process. Mm-hmm. But in other cultures, that's a, no, that's a normal, natural part of the process is for people to have continued communications and, and contact with the deceased. And so, and, and even here where it's not really supported in the same way, it still is, you know, something like 50% of people report 
Now, it's not always seeing a ghost or something like that, but people report, uh, you know, deathbed visitations or dream visitations or things like that that happen very, it's very common. And so, but yet all of those people don't end up being psychics and mediums. Um, But but maybe the issue is maybe it's kind of like Janet, that maybe it does kind of start to open a door, but you have to do something with it. Just because the door is cracked open, if you just kind of ignore it or you have one experience and then don't do anything further, you know, it's going to close back down. So maybe it's providing an opportunity, you know, to expand that work. So back to the brain, the brain images, what does a brain, what does your brain look like on drugs? Remember that those 1980s, like this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. This is your brain. This is your brain on psychic abilities. And this is your brain on mediumship. What is, what is the difference? What are you seeing? The, the big thing with mediumship and spirit communication, and I'm just making a slight differentiation, you know, it's whether you're talking to someone who has passed, someone was in a, who was in a human body mm-hmm. and has passed versus talking to spirit guides or ascended masters or angels or whatever, right? They're both discarnate beings, but people might make a distinction. Um, okay. And that's how you distinguish psychic from medium or you distinguish psychic medium and like maybe Chandler's. (laughs) Right. Yeah. There's so, there's so many little things, right? So um, lots of nuances here. Yeah. So mediumship and spirit communication I see is very similar. Okay. You know, you're, you're communicating with a, a discarnate entity of some kind. And at least the sense that I get from, thinking about this and talking and interviewing with a a lot of these folks is that there's kind of layers of reality that you can tap into. And some people can tap into various layers of that and communicate with whatever. Um, But, but the process seems to be fairly similar. So I differentiate that from a psychic ability, which would be more knowing information about you, right? Like if I'm doing a psychic reading on you, I'm not necessarily talking to a discarnate entity, I'm just picking up, it's like, oh, I get that you have this many kids and uh, you, this is your history and right, I'm picking up stuff about you. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a saying in that world that all mediums are psychic, but not all psychics are mediums. Right, right. I don't know if that's a thousand percent true, but it does seem to be pretty true. Um, and for whatever reason, psychics seem, or mediums, sorry, seem to also have psychic abilities Psychics don't always have mediumship abilities, um, and but and most of the most of the psychic mediums, we'll just put them together that do both. They do make a differentiation. Uh, most of them, they'll say, "Yeah, it's a different thing." Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm doing this, it feels like this. When I'm doing this, it feels like this. So back to the brain. There's a there's a lot of variability, right? Because everybody's different. It, it makes sense that not everybody's going to show the exact same pattern. Um, however, one thing that stands out a lot with mediumship and spirit communication is has to do with this part of the brain on the back right quadrant. So the right parietal lobe. Um, and sometimes more specifically, people will talk about the temporal temp, parietal junction, right? So the junction between the temporal lobe and the parietal lobe. And 
especially on the right side, this part of the brain seems to be important for things like boundaries. So when it's doing its normal job, it's creating sort of an ego boundary. So it's like, I'm Jeff. I live in this little meat sack. You're Amy. You live in that little meat sack. We're totally separate. You know, we, we live in our own worlds. We're all individuals. That's kind of when it's doing its normal job. And then what happens for a lot of these folks when they're doing their work is that part of the brain goes offline. It, sometimes it looks like a seizure. That's what happens with Janet. It, it, looks, like she, it looks like there's a seizure back there. The, the activity is so wild. It's like, what the heck's going on over there? It's like misfiring. It's like not behaving. Or you'll see a lot of slow brain waves all of a sudden pop in. And usually when there's a lot of slow brain waves, I'm oversimplifying this, but you can, you can kind of think of it as that that part of the brain is like asleep, right? It's not doing its job. And so for however they do it, I think a lot of the mediums and, and folks that do similar work, they're able to sort of shut that part down temporarily so that they can extend beyond their own ego boundaries and they can extend out to other things. They can connect to other entities or other people or whatever. So it's like they're, they're almost, you, you said like they, they are boundaries, but it's almost like they shut off. This is kind of the ADHD piece. They're able to shut off their, what's considered normal perceptual experiences and maybe expand to other perceptions that as humans, we don't typically, we don't typically access, right? Like yeah. my dog can definitely hear things I can't. I'm not saying right. my dog, there's no way he's hearing that. I'm just saying he's able to access things that I can't in my, um, in my, through my brain processing, right? Yeah. And that's actually a big sort of conclusion that I came to, um, you know, after, you know, it was interesting because writing the book was really helpful to help me organize my thinking about all this. I had all these various weird experiences and data, but it's like trying to put it all together into some sort of cohesive story that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It was really useful in that regard. But one of the conclusions I came to was that is largely involved in filtering things, keeping stuff out <laughs> mm -hmm. and limiting what we perceive. And so your example of your dog is a good one, right? That the human ears can only hear certain frequencies. So our brain limits, not just the brain, but our sensory organs and our brain limit what we can perceive. But there's a whole lot of other frequencies out there that dogs can perceive and birds can perceive that we don't pick up, but they still exist nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the brain's job largely is to keep things contained, to keep things organized. And so if we disrupt that, so disrupt it through what might look like an ADHD pattern or disrupt it through shutting off certain parts of the brain, then yeah, I think what happens is it opens up the possibilities. And again, there's some bleed over into work with psychedelics, right? So what happens in psychedelics, right? Well, the brain becomes much more open. So the organizing structures of the brain fall away temporarily. So the way that, that the brain holds everything together no longer exists. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden there's a whole lot more possibilities 
of how you see yourself or how you see the world. So this sort of disinhibition of the brain seems like maybe, maybe that's a simplification, but that's what's happening here is we're allowing expanded perceptual experiences to happen, which might mean we are then able to tap into other vibrational frequencies that we might not have been able to tap into when we're in our normal day-to-day state. So yes, in certain instances, that's what it looks like, right? Is that that's what's happening. But it's interesting because you also brought up like, well, what's the difference between a psychic brain? And you don't see that pattern as much with psychic activity, which is interesting. Uh, But what you do see- So you don't see the shutdown in the right parietal lobe in a psychic brain? Not as much. Uh, There's definitely seems to be a, a distinction- Okay. Um, you know, but what you do see with in the psychic during psychic readings, two things show up a lot. One is a hyperactivation of the occipital lobes. So in the very back of the brain, visual processing is is kind of what we think of as uh, the occipital lobes is being involved in, and very often you'll see those light up with increases of gamma brainwaves. And gamma is the fastest brainwave that we really look at right now. So there's this super increase of very fast brainwaves in the occipital lobes and seems to be associated with seeing information, right? So- uh, Interesting. Yeah, so they're picking up on something and, and even if they don't, even if not everybody sees it, Right. Because you could hear things, clairaudience, or mm-hmm. you could just know things, clairsentience. But clairvoyance, clear seeing, is how a lot of psychics tend to get information. And, and interestingly, the, that part of the brain seems to light up, even if it's not visual. But, but there's still, so I think it has a broader reach in terms of perception. So you'll see this this hyperactivation back there. You'll also sometimes see a shift in the frontal lobes, especially the right frontal lobe. And Which so is some- normally responsible for what? I knew this. I knew this in my psychology, in my uh, biology, or what was it, biopsychosocial something yeah. back in the day when I had to study for my licensing exam yeah. and had to memorize what the functions were of all the different parts of the brain. But Right. Cognitive neuroscience or right, uh, whatever. Exactly. Uh, but that has since fallen out of my, out of my, uh, my mind. Right. For sure. And you know, the frontal lobes do a lot of stuff, right? I mean, I mean, all the parts of the brain do to be fair. Um, but the right frontal lobe, one of the things that I think is interesting is the right frontal lobe seems to be more involved in sustaining attention. So holding attention. So that's where the ADHD component comes in, right? Because kid, people typically with ADHD have executive functioning issues that impact their frontal lobes. Right. Exactly. Oh, see, I didn't forget it all. I didn't forget you didn't. it all. No, you got it. <laughs> um, but what's interesting is some, in some cases, the psychics, that, that right frontal area will shut down. In some cases, it actually gets more active, kind of like at the back of the brain. Hmm. And so I think it has to do with how they are directing their attention. If they need to become hyper-focused or if they need to have more of a spacious 
perception. So it may be an issue of whether you're allowing information to come to you more spacious or if you're going to get the information, right? Like if, I, if, I'm, if I'm doing telepathy and I'm trying to read your mind, that might be a very directed way. I may need to extend my consciousness, however this works, to you specifically to see what you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm just opening up, or I'm trying to tap into something like the Akashic Records or something, right? So some sort of field of information that exists out there. Well, that may require me to be in a more spacious uh, kind of uh, awareness and just allowing the information to come to me. So this is at least is my current interpretation uh, of what's going on there. Okay. And where do medium, uh, not medium, um, meditate, meditators' brains come in in all of this? I'm curious, meditators' brains and also um, what do brains of psychedelic users look like on this? I know Robin Carthart-Harris has done a lot of work on the brains of people using psychedelics. That's a lot of his work. Yeah, Yeah. and we can can kind of start there because, yeah, there's been a lot of really great research uh, over the last, you know, whatever, 10, 15 years looking at the brain during psychedelic experiences and predominantly with psilocybin, but they've also looked at it with LSD and uh, people have looked with ayahuasca and 5-MeO DMT. So there's kind of a broader way of looking at what's going on in the brain during psychedelics. And to a large degree, it's all very similar, uh, which is interesting. So the, the medicine itself, even though there's differences, doesn't seem to make a big difference. It's, it's really uh, having the psychedelic experiences is kind of, you know, there's a similar process in the brain that happens. And the main thing that you see is kind of like we discussed before, a shutdown of a network in the brain called the default mode network. And the default mode network is a very highly interconnected set of brain structures that is really involved in creating your sense of identity. So it's like the default mode network. Again, it's normal job is kind of creating this sense of who you are, you know? So anytime you're thinking about yourself, which is most of the time, uh, you know, humans, not you personally, but humans, we're always thinking about ourselves, you know? So to say that we're, you know, self-absorbed is actually very true when you look at the brain. We, you know, so if you think about what you're going to do later today or what you did last week or 10 years ago, or you're thinking about your kids, it still involves you and this idea of who you are. So the default mode network is very active. It's very involved in day-to-day life. And then in a psychedelic experience, that is completely disrupted and essentially shuts down. And I think this is part of, I think of it as a reboot. It's almost like the system shuts down. And so your ideas of who you are, your connection to your feelings, your connection to your past, your relationships, all of it is disrupted in a way that you can start to consider other possibilities and I or see things from a different perspective that maybe you couldn't see before because you were limited by how your brain was organizing information. 
Right. And lots of people would call that the ego death of the, during the psychedelic experience, that experience, that experience of not no longer be confined by your thoughts that define who you are, which is why it's so scary because we've lived this existence of believing we are one thing. And then when that's stripped away, that's where some of the fear I think can come from for people is who am I, if not that. For sure. And, you know, at least my own experience has been that, you know, when you're, if you can really get to sort of an ego death state, because there's, there's a range, right? There's a range of experiences that you can have with psychedelics where, you know, you might still be aware of yourself, but then you're also tapping into this bigger universe or bigger Mm -hmm. realm of perception, but there's kind of both happening, right? Or you're kind of shifting back and forth. And so certainly that can be really scary for people, right? Because it's like, you're aware of yourself, and then all of a sudden, things get expanded and blown out. And, you know, that can be a little weird. But, but if you ever do get to a place of sort of a true ego death, where, where there is no conception of you, uh, you know, like you, it wouldn't even occur to you to like think of yourself as having a name or a body wouldn't even occur to you because you're past all of that, at least momentarily. Mm -hmm. And so of course, when you're there, there's no fear at all because there's nothing to be afraid of. Fear is all connected to- Right, it's a construct. It's a construct and fear is all connected to this. And if this doesn't exist, there's nothing to be afraid of. It's, Mm -hmm. It's very spacious and peaceful and blissful in some ways, right? But then when you start coming back, and actually that can be pleasant too, coming back, but- it's often then after that experience, when the ego comes back online, that people start getting freaked out, uh, you know, because it's I'm like, laughing because you're like, shut up, stop it. Like, oh, my God, I didn't realize how loud you are until you were completely quiet. And now you're back and you're like a screaming toddler. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, there's other things that happen with psychedelics, but that's easily the most consistent kind of pattern that shows up. And what's interesting is you do see that sometimes with mediums and psychics when they're doing their thing. You'll see this brain pattern that looks like a psychedelic pattern. So Um, that shutdown of the right parietal lobe also happens. Right. That can be part of it. Um, But the default mode network is... And actually, there are parts of the right parietal lobe that are part of the default mode network, which is interesting. Um, The default mode network, there's really four main structures, and the the hub of it is kind of in the middle, uh, uh, in the back of the head. And then you've got these wings on each side, and then some structures up in the front. And so that right parietal lobe is, at least parts of it, are part of the default mode network. But the hub, hub of it, the main section, is right in the middle. And so, yeah, you'll see that kind of go offline uh, in some cases and um, or even during other experiences, like we talked about holotropic breath work. So breath work can and when you look at people's brains in those experiences, it looks psychedelic or like stroboscopic light uh, or vibroacoustics. Uh, my, my point is that there's lots of ways to kind of get into a state where your brain becomes more open. Uh, Psychedelics is kind of like a power tool, uh, but there's other ways to 
facilitate at least some of that as well. Well, and I guess, I mean, this might be, a, I might be taking this conversation in a different direction, but I think that that then kind of begs this question around when people have these intense spiritual experiences in a psychedelic journey where they say they've seen their lost loved ones have come to them or spirit guides or angel communication or whatever it is. Does that, does that then point to, oh, this is something perhaps that is induced by a chemical in one's own body or like, what is the differentiation here and what is happening in all of this that, that people like, I know you, you um, study Laurel and Jackson in the book, who's a very famous medium you know, is, is, does she have some chemical in her body that gets released that allows that to happen versus in a psychedelic experience that allows this to happen? See, I think I should just be, a, um, just throw out hypotheses and let other people test them because <laughs> I don't know how to do research very well. <laughs> oh, that, that is a problem. I was going to say, you know, or just move out here and, uh, right. you know, um, so you know, I mean, and this is a question that's been kind of asked for a long time, right? Like, like whether, whether we're talking about, if, is there something chemically that's happening that is inducing these things? Are these hallucinations, right? As opposed to being real, that's induced by some sort of a chemical response or something. And, you know, a lot of previous research with psychics and mediums and things like that, you know, they would look at things like, oh, they have a temporal lobe seizure abnormality, or there's a misfiring in the temporal lobes. And that's why they're perceiving these things. It's, it's not real. It's the brain misfiring. And so it's causing people to have these experiences. The problem with that is, you know, obviously we can't prove certain things. If somebody says, oh, I'm talking to an angel. Okay. I, like there's nothing I can do to prove that they're talking to an angel right? Like nothing I can do there. Right. But if somebody says, oh, I'm in contact with your, your, your dead grandfather and then starts giving you information that there's no way they could have possibly known, like very accurate, they call it evidential, an mm -hmm. evidential reading. If they start just pulling stuff down left and right, that's super accurate and there's no way they could have known. And sometimes they'll pull through stuff that you don't even know right? Because that's another theory, right? It's like, well, maybe they're just reading you, which is still pretty cool, right? right? Like, okay, like, even if they were pulling information from my memory, like, that's still really cool. Um, but in some cases, and I've had this happen with me, where they'd say something, and I'm kind of like, I, I don't, I don't know, that doesn't really mean anything to me or whatever. And then later, I'd be telling my mom about it or something. She's like, oh, yeah, fill in the story, right? That it's like, so, and it's like, okay, so, so what do we do with that? Right? Because there is certain kinds of, if you, I think it's evidence, you know, there is certain evidence that they are able to communicate non-locally. And so what exactly are they tapping into? I'll give, I'll give an example. I've used this example probably before on my podcast, but earlier on in my exploring mediumship psychology, where I fit in all of this. I was practicing doing readings and I did a reading for a friend. And in that reading, what came through was her father-in-law. And he shared with me this, this image of this blue ring, um, that he had had. And it was like a, uh, you know, a college kind of graduate ring. And I was very specific in describing this ring. 
And I said, you know, he's got this ring and, you know, he, he, I think he wants your husband to have it. And she went home and told her husband and he said, my dad never wore jewelry. Like what everything else she said was somewhat accurate, but like that kind of, no, there's no way. He goes home actually for Thanksgiving. I think it was around, we're recording the week of Thanksgiving. I think it was around this time. And his mom comes in and she says, I just found this ring of your dad's. I think you would like it. Now it was exactly the ring as I had described it. So what is being tapped into in that moment? Is that his dead father? Is that the energy? Am I creating? Did we co-create this quantum reality? Like what, 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 what was that? (laughs) Yeah. Good question. Uh, Who knows? And this is the thing, right? Like, I don't know that we'll ever be able to answer some of these questions because, you know, how, how can we, right? Um, my current feeling, well, I, I have two, I have two responses, um, besides, besides, I don't know. That's my first answer. Mm -hmm. I have two additional answers. Which I really appreciate because it shows that like, we're still figuring all of this out. And as scientists, you really never, I mean, you look at a hypothesis, you prove it, and then it gets disproven. And then you look at another one and you prove it and it gets disproven or proven or. For sure. And yeah. And, and you have to be, and I think what's important, right, is that you have to be willing from a scientific perspective, you have to be willing to keep an open mind and throw out ideas that don't seem to fit anymore. Right. And so, you know, like. You know, at one point, you know, I was highly skeptical of all this stuff and I thought it was all just nonsense. And, you know, uh, you see enough things and you keep an open mind and it's like, well, okay, I can't, I don't fully understand it, but I can't deny that something pretty amazing isn't going on here. Right. You know, at at some point, I think what you have to do is you kind of have to just choose what you want to believe and then kind of see what happens, right? Where it goes. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of one element of, of, of all of this. My personal feeling, this isn't scientific at all. Uh, it's based on some of my own experiences and, and also just my own spiritual philosophical kind of way of thinking is that once you get outside of the body, and you're in whatever it is, the field of consciousness, we'll just call it for lack of something better, that literally anything is possible. That sort of whatever you can imagine, whatever you can dream up is an option. And so is it that it's it's really uh, the consciousness of, of your deceased grandfather that you're communicating with? Is that really what's going on? Sure. Right. It's almost like every possibility exists in the ether and we can draw out or connect with anything. You know, it's like what. So in that way, sort of consciousness does create reality, but it doesn't mean it's not real because everything is there. So it's like, well, what are you tapping into? What do you want to connect with? And I think that's for me, at least anyway, that makes sense in terms of you know, where different people have, you know, some people will communicate with aliens. Okay, fine. Um, You know, or ascended masters or. 
Right, light Palladians, light beings from other dimensions, they say. Whatever. And, you know, and it's like, okay, well, why can't all of that be possible? It just depends on what level of <laughs> reality you're sort of tuning into. And, you know, and so, and some of that is going to depend on what your belief systems are here in this human physical body, what you're open to. Uh, and then some of it might depend on what, how you're able to tune your frequency. And I'm using that, that term because I hear that used a lot by mediums and psychics that it feels like dialing a radio where you just kind of have to find the right frequency and then you kind of lock in. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. So to me, that makes sense. But again, how are you ever going to prove that? Uh, Do you see difference? You were talking about gamma, gamma waves in psychics. And I've heard that when you are in a theta wave state, you're all, you're more open to accessing this. Is, is that something you find as well? And I want to get back to the meditator's brain too, because yeah. we talked about the psychedelic brain, but I'm curious yep. about the meditator's brain. So yeah, from a brainwave perspective, the two brainwaves that seem to be the most involved are theta and gamma. And yes, theta is a slower brainwave. And, and by the way, that's the brainwave that's most associated with ADHD is theta. Um, and so, you know, but theta is also associated with the subconscious and memory retrieval and hypnosis. And it's the dominant brainwave of young kids, which I think is actually really mm. relevant because how many little kids have imaginary friends and talk to invisible beings and commune with nature, right? In just a very natural, easy way. And access past lives. You know, they'll access say things like, lives. oh, I remember this from before. And you're like, what? Before? <laughs> We've never been here or... We, we didn't know each other before. And they're like, remember when we did this, when you, when you were my child and I was your mom or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. And so I think kids are naturally tapped in. And then as their language develops, as they're socialized, as they pick up our culture, as we reject certain of their experiences, you know, it gets shut down. And, you know, and that happens as their brain speeds up. And so they shift out of that theta state into more of an alpha state, which is where, you know, adult brains are kind of hanging out at. So, so theta is important to be open and to be receptive. And then gamma is interesting because even though it's the fastest brainwave, it's also associated with states that are more like being in the zone or being in a flow state. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like effortless like high level engagement, but with no effort. So you'll actually see, you were asking about meditators. You'll actually see some research looking at like Tibetan monks, right? So these are like expert meditators. That's what they do all day is meditate. And Which if you I look aspire at, to be, <laughs> to just sit in meditation all day. I don't on. think I want to do, I don't think I want to do that anymore. That's a, it's too much, but. Uh, I think I know. just want to sit quietly all day in, in that space. <laughs> But when they're doing a compassion meditation, the brainwave that increases is gamma. It's not theta. It's not alpha. It's this really fast brainwave. Um, but they look completely peaceful and at rest, right? But And so the interpretation is that they're able to drop into this high level of compassion with no effort. They just 
go there. And so it's this very integrated brainwave. So those are the two that you tend to see change the most dramatically with psychics and mediums. And I think it makes sense. And the theta brainwave is also, I believe, that brainwave that you see as active when you just wake up in the morning and can fall back into that like in between state, right? Like almost like that twilight state where you're not fully awake yet, but you're not fully back in like a REM sleep cycle. Totally. Right. So, and it could be falling asleep at night too, right? When you're going to, when you're falling asleep at night or waking up in the morning and, you know, people will often have weird images that come to them or half dream kind of things. And, and so that's a very theta, you know, kind of way of engaging. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's the tricky part, right, is because if you're purely in a theta state, it might be really hard to bring that information into conscious awareness. You know, you can you can think of when you're falling asleep and you might have some weird half dream and then you wake up and it's gone. You, you, you really can't remember what happened. And so I think that may be where the gamma helps, right? And in some cases, you might see both. So you've got this theta that's kind of helping you be open, but you, you need a way to bring it into your conscious awareness. Mm, got it. Got it. Why is this dismissed? Like you, you're studying these, the brains of mediums. Clearly there's something happening there. They look different than other people's brains who are just saying like, oh yeah, your dead grandma's here or whatever it is. Why aren't people taking this seriously as a possibility to explore deeper. I mean, this really, the only place I know who's doing research on this is at Yale University. And I interviewed them a while ago on the podcast is the COPE project. And they're looking at perceptual experiences and the difference in perceptual experiences. But other than that, it feels like this research is just very, it's minimized. It's dismissed as pseudoscience. uh, It's not real. And you are studying the brain in the same way that many other neuroimaging research studies the brain. Yeah, you know, and and this isn't new, right? Like we've, you know, we've done this forever historically where scientists, I'm just going to broadly throw them all into one big group, make up their mind about what, what, (laughs) how reality works. And everybody agrees Yep, that's how reality works. And so then if you start to look at anything that challenges that, then it's it's seen as garbage. Isn't that uh, the antithesis of science though? That's what I that's what I think. I think that's the whole point is to explore and look at things that we don't understand. And clearly these experiences kind of like I was saying earlier, these you know, more than half of people have had premonitions or contact with somebody who's died or uh, telepathy, uh, you know. So these are not unusual experiences. Um, Most people have had this happen. And so don't we want to understand that? Like in my mind, it seems like something we should be exploring. Right. But, But it is, you're right. I mean, people... It's funny, as soon as I started doing this work more publicly, because I've been collecting data for 11 years, but in the last two years, as I started working on the book and being more out (laughs) about what I was doing, 
And right at the beginning, I, I had, there was an organization I was working with closely on other work and they basically uh, disowned me <laughs> and fired me uh, because of this work and said, you know, that um, they said, this is a, a pretty close quote, paraphrase, that since, since it appears that I'm no longer interested in science, that uh, they felt like maybe us working together wasn't a good fit anymore. And uh, it's like, wow, hmm. interesting, interesting. Yeah. And at that point, you hadn't determined what was what what was happening. You were just exploring. Yeah. And 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 talking about it. And that's the interesting thing, right, is if you put yourself out there, then you're, you're going to get pushback from people who, you know, think it's pseudoscience or think that you're manipulating people or, or whatever. Right. You know. And I can understand. There are there are are. people who manipulate people in this space, which is why, again, and you talk about this in the book, and I've talked about this on the show, why it's so important, like a Forever Family Foundation who certifies mediums, who have they take them. It's not a it's not a scientific process per se, but it is a rigorous process to weed out. Um, And I don't want to say charlatans because I don't think everybody is a charlatan. I think that there are some people who have. Like in any field, there's like the A plus, the A, the A minus, the B plus, like there's, there's the whole gamut. And so some people I know have had amazing experiences with certain mediums and the same medium has, people have had subpar experiences with, you know, good, every, everyone has good days and bad days. And that's not to mean that everybody's out there trying to like defraud you, Right. But it is important that there is some sort of, I think, like rigor or way to look at uh, how people are using these these abilities. Absolutely. Totally agree. So how can the average person start to ex- tap into this if they are so interested? Because I, I do believe we, we might not all be the Michael Jordans of mediumship, the Laurelyn Jacksons of mediumship, but that doesn't mean we can't play a supporting role or be open and then use mm-hmm. that. And maybe we don't all want to be practicing mediums or psychics, although there's a huge, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people that are paying a lot of money for that right now. Um, but how do we all tap into that maybe for ourselves? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, that's really where a lot of my interest has, has kind of moved toward is, okay, great, we're, we can understand what's going on in the brain to some degree. Um, so now what? So, you know, how do we use that information to help people kind of tap into their own innate psychic abilities? And I think the three things that I would emphasize, the first one is pretty obvious, which is practice. I, I see it like a, a skill and kind of like a skill that we've forgotten, right? So like maybe as a kid, we, we were more tapped into this, but you know, now we're in our thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, whatever, and you haven't been using it. It's, you, you know, you, you pretty much forgot how that it even existed. And so I think of it like any other skill, you know, if you want to learn to play a musical instrument, unless you're a savant, you have to put in time. You know, you have to play the scales and you have to take lessons and you, you know, mm-hmm. you, you have to work. And 
And so again, I don't think it's about necessarily developing, but it's like learning how to reconnect with that aspect of yourself. And it does take practice. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is learning how to shift your brain into a space that's going to be more open Mm -hmm. to this way of engaging. And so meditation is an obvious way to help with that. There's a lot of different kinds of meditation and different meditations do different things. So in that regard, it's important to consider like, well, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you, what are you wanting to do? Because like we've already talked about, well, spirit communication might look different than psychic abilities. Okay. Well, certain meditations might be better for spirit communication and certain meditations might be better for psychic abilities. Mm-hmm. So like getting clear on like, well, what are you, what are you hoping to, to work on? What are you, what are you trying to develop? And then what kinds of meditations can shift your brain in that direction? That sort of, you know, opening you to those possibilities. And then there's technology, which of course, the, the world that I'm in, I use lots of gadgets and gizmos to zap the brain and kind of nudge the brain into specific directions. And the nice part is that you know, with advances in technology, a lot of these are pretty cost effective. They're fairly affordable and things that most people can just go buy. Like you don't have to go through a psychologist or something. You can just go get them. And, you know, you can nudge the brain into more of a theta state or more of a gamma state, or you can shut down the left hemisphere and activate the right hemisphere or whatever by using either light and sound stimulation or using low power pulse electromagnetic frequencies or other things, you can kind of nudge the brain. And so, again, I feel like that's an underutilized tool in this work. It's like, wouldn't it make sense to kind of nudge the brain in the right direction and then practice? What is What are those tools specifically? I've not heard of this. Or maybe I have and I just, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the two that I use the most, one of them is, it's called audiovisual entrainment. And so you've got glasses. I happen to have a pair right here. Um, So you've got these glasses that have these big bug-eyed looking glasses. Looks like Back to the Future, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, Yeah. um, if you're you're listening, you can watch this this on YouTube. So, okay. Right. And so there's, there's lights built into the eye set. There's four lights on each side. And you plug this into either your computer or a standalone little box, depending on what version you have, and pick a program. And then what happens is, depending on what program you pick, the lights in the glasses will flicker on and off at a certain rate. And so what happens is the brain starts to match that pattern. So, for example, if you were wanting to get into a theta state, And theta is between four and eight cycles per second. So that's the brainwave. So we call it hertz, four to eight hertz. Well, you could pick a program that say is six hertz, right in the middle of the theta range. And what it's going to do is flicker on and off six times a second. And so your brain starts matching that rhythm. So it's essentially pulling your brain into a theta brainwave pattern. And... 
So you can use it for lots of things. You can use it to speed the brain up, to get into a relaxed state for pain management, uh, for ADHD. So you can use it to kind of shift the brain into all kinds of different patterns, depending on what you want to do. Um, and this is how much money is that? Um, depends again on which unit you get, but, uh, these glasses that I just showed you that these are the ones that plug into your computer. And I think they're like 250 bucks, okay. something maybe like that. Well, this will be out after, but maybe there's a black Friday sale. Um, <laughs> but, and, and you can do that with sound too, right? I've, I've done theta brainwave meditations yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And, and actually these protocols have sound that go with it. So it's audio visual entrainment. And so the, the sound mimics what's happening with the, the visual stimulation. So you have both. And, you know, there's been research on this and visual stimulation is way more in training than audio, which kind of makes sense. There's just a lot more of the brain involved in visual processing. Of course, if you have both, it's a double whammy and it's going to be even right. more impactful. Um, so audio does work. It's just not going to be quite as strong as the visual. So what you're doing in that is you're training your brain differently to, to get into these different states, which then allow you to be more accessible to tapping into, let's just call it different frequencies. Like we don't know that it's, your dead grandma. We just know there's a different frequency. Like you're hearing yeah. the you're hearing the dog bark down the street, the way your dog's hearing the dog bark down the street. Right. Uh, so some of it, some of it is not necessarily training because it's it's simply nudging the brain in that direction. Um, but you can use it as training because really, if you start using it to learn what that feels like, so the, I, I see it as training wheels. It's kind of helping you get into a desired state of consciousness. And then once you kind of get there and you start to feel certain things and be aware of certain things, you can start to use that to become more aware of like, what does this feel like? And can I get there on my own? Mm -hmm. Right. Or how does that work? So, you know, kind of using it as a, as a tool, you know, to, to kind of help you do that. Well, and I think too, with like breath work, I've, I've, as I've done more breath work and then I, I do this breath work that leads into a sound meditation and I started to play with like, oh, wow, there I, I'm, I'm able to get there. And then I can kind of come in and out of tapping into that third eye. And then sometimes it just disappears and I get annoyed and frustrated and I'm like, oh, I was there, but now it's gone. But you can, with all these different inputs, start to recognize, oh, that's what my third eye opening feels like as I'm tapping into this cosmic consciousness. That's always what it looks like to me. It's like this beautiful purple um, starry space. And the first time I went there when I was not uh, chemically assisted, um, it was scary. It was a little bit scary. I was like, oh my gosh, this is that. But I was able to ground myself because I was not chemically induced. So I knew, okay, I can stop this. But when you start to go down there, when you start to open up in that way, it can feel really expansive and boundless and, and a little bit scary at times. Yeah. And so I think you're bringing up some really good points, right? Because you had some additional skills that, you know, helped you in that moment to be able to navigate a little bit. 
And so I think that's all of these things, whether it's meditation or using the technology or whatever, there are additional tools, right, that help you start to figure out like, okay, what is this and how, how can I navigate this myself? Mm-hmm. And are even psychedelics, right? Like, so even that work, people who have done psychedelics multiple times, you start to learn how to work with the medicine. You know, the first time it's just overwhelming and you just get carried wherever you go. But then after you work with it a few times. Blasted, carried, however you want to phrase it. (laughs) All about your experience, I guess. Right. (laughs) You know, but you can start to, you can start to move, move in that space in a, in a way that you couldn't do before. And so I think this is true with all of these states of consciousness. Initially it's, it could be overwhelming or confusing or scary, but then the more you work with it, you start to figure out how it works and how to, how to work with it. Well, Jeff, I have like 20 other questions I didn't get to, but we are like so over time. I could talk to you for even longer than this, but I'm going to bring you back when you finish your next, in six months, when you finish your next set of research. So where, if people are interested, this is your book, Becoming Psychic, um, Lessons from the Minds of Mediums, Healers, and Psychics, where it's out, right? This says uncorrected reader's copy, but- uh, it, yeah, you might've got that before it came out on November 7th. Ah, okay. Congratulations. Just came Thank you. out. Thank you. So go check it out. Fascinating read on the science behind all of this, but also there's some really good tips in here too, about how you can start to access your own psychic and medium mind. So check it out. Um, where else can people find you, find information about you? I think I found you on Instagram. Maybe. I don't know how. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've got all the social media things uh, at Psychic Mind Science, one word. Uh, so Instagram, Facebook, um, that might be the only social things that that we have specifically for, for this. Oh, YouTube, we have a YouTube channel, Psychic Mind Science. And then our website is psychicmindscience.com. So there's additional information, videos, guided meditations, uh, upcoming classes and retreats and workshops, all that kind of stuff is on the website. So if people want to check that out as well. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for so much time today to this topic that is so fascinating, so dear to my heart, and really brings us all back to why I, why this feels so important um, to illuminate the science that is happening behind what has previously been considered woo-woo or out there or not grounded or pseudoscience. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.